right. How many of you used one of, oh, it was there. Where'd it go? Okay, there it is. How many of you used one of those this morning, just by show of hands? Okay, most of us, looks like. Yeah, a couple of late bloomers there. Yeah, me too. Uh, and what did you use that for, exactly? You don't have to answer that. It was probably the exact same thing that I used it for this morning. You know, you get out of the shower, you put it in your ear, and wiggle it around a little bit, get that water out, get that earwax under control, and then you threw it in the trash can, and you didn't give it a second thought. Because you and every other person in America have been using Q-tips for this exact purpose since they came into existence. It's a tool that looks like it was designed for this very purpose. So imagine my surprise when one day I'm at the store and I'm reading the side of the Q-tip box and it says in big bold letters, WARNING! DO NOT INSERT SWAB INTO EAR CANAL. And I sat there a little dumbfounded and honestly thought, like, what am I supposed to use this for then? I couldn't in my mind conceive of another use for these things beyond sticking it in my ear and cleaning it out. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you didn't know. That's not what they were designed for. And I think that's just one example of how we as people can sometimes get used to thinking about something or using something in a way that it was never intended to be used for. And there are a lot of things like that in our lives that, that we do that with, including sometimes God's blessings that he puts in our lives. We're wrapping up a series this morning. It's called Hashtag Blessed. It's been all about the blessed life and what God has to do with it. And so far in the series, we've talked about recognizing the blessings of God in our lives. We've, we've talked about how or why God blesses us, the, the criteria by which he uses his graciousness but this morning, we're going to look at the other side of the equation, and we're going to start looking at our responsibilities as blessed people. We're looking at the purpose or the responsibility of the blessed life. And to help us understand this, we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to highly encourage you, open them up to Deuteronomy 15 and follow along. If our technology permits, that's not a good sign, but if our technology permits, you can follow along on the screen behind, or even better, you can pull open the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device and follow along there with the scriptures and the notes. Uh, in any event, whatever method you choose, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 15 this morning. Now, you may, may be sitting there this morning thinking to yourself, you know, I never really thought about the blessed life having responsibilities attached to it. And if that's you, know that you're not alone. In fact, it's pretty common in our culture when we think about blessing, really to stop considering it beyond how it immediately benefits ourselves. Blessing is something that's good in our lives for our benefit or for our enjoyment. But when we look at our passage this morning, we start to see that God has a different way of thinking about blessing than we do. It would be in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let's look at verse 1 as we start reading. It says, At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. 
So this passage comes, just as a reminder, at a time in history when the Israelites are about to cross over into this new territory in order to take possession of it. It's this land that God had promised to their ancestors generations prior. In fact, a lot of times it's referred to as the promised land. But the promise that God made was more than just to give them a parcel or a territory. He promised to bless their land. And we get a little bit of detail there in verse 4 as to the terms of this agreement. If the Israelites would obey God, then he would bless them. He would, he would send rains, he would grow their crops, everything their hands touched and they put their labor towards would be blessed and bountiful. If they would just be faithful, God would bless them to such an extent that ideally there would be no needy people among them because God would supply so much that everybody would have plenty and there would be enough. Now that sounds like a blessing, right? That kind of falls in line with how we typically consider the blessed life. It's a life that, that was full. It was a life where they enjoyed benefit. It was a life where they just enjoyed joy. It was a good time. That's how we tend to think about the blessed life. And in fact, that's how we still think about it today. I checked Twitter this week just to see what kind of things were tagged with hashtag blessed to see what people were feeling thankful for. And there was a, a pattern that started to develop pretty quickly. There's one girl that was thankful for having a great boyfriend. She felt blessed because he was in her life. And there was one young man who felt blessed to be a part of a, a winning football team. They had a great season. And there was another person that felt blessed because they saw a beautiful sunrise that morning and it started their day off on the right foot. Each and every one of these things has this common thread that ties them together. They're all about me and how they fill my life with joy or how they benefit me in some way. That's just kind of how we tend to think about blessing. In fact, even in this series, if you've been here with us, you've noticed this is probably the context or, or, or the, the line of thinking that we've used while we've talked about blessing. You know, God has placed good in our lives. He's put all of these blessings, these good things that benefit us. That's just kind of the default way of thinking about the blessed life. But when we consider the other passages that we read in this little section, we start to get the idea that God might have a different understanding or a different purpose in mind for blessing. For example, consider those first three verses that we read. We read that the Israelites were supposed to forgive all debts of their neighbors every seventh year. And that's not like the seventh year of the loan either. It's kind of like leap year. There were designated years on the calendar that were to be known as years of forgiveness. And so it didn't matter if you took out a loan and you had to pay on it for six years or six months. If that designated year rolled around, poof, that debt was erased. Now, some of us may be sitting here this morning thinking, that sounds like a pretty good idea. You know, especially if you're looking at it from the perspective of the debtor. Because let's say you have this medical emergency that befalls you, something that you didn't really plan for or see coming, and you're in the hospital for months and you're just saddled with medical bill after bill after bill, and when you get out of the hospital, you're just suffocating under the debt. But then that magical year rolls around, and poof, you're free. Your debt is gone, and your future is yours once again. How freeing would that be? From the perspective of a debtor, this looks like an amazing idea. But what if you're not the debtor in this equation? What if you're the lender? 
Does this still seem like such a magical opportunity from that side of the table? Because you think about why people tend to make loans. Typically, it's not just out of the kindness of their hearts. Typically, we make a loan in order to make a profit off of the interest. That's not the way the Israelites did it, but that's today is what we do with loans. Those people at MasterCard and Visa, some of you may have gone out Friday and made good friends with them. They are not your pals. They're not extending you this line of credit out of the goodness of their heart. They're in this to make money. This is a business. But if all debt is canceled every seven years, not only are you going to limit your profits, but you stand to lose quite a bit of money. From the perspective of a lender, this seems like a very costly idea. And when we start to think about it in the context of blessing, we're faced with a situation where on the one hand, God says, I'm going to bless you immensely. And on the other hand, God says, give it away and don't worry about taking a loss. And we're kind of in this confusing place where we're like, you know, God, you said you're going to give me this blessing, but how am I supposed to hold on to it and enjoy it and benefit from it if I'm constantly giving it away and losing it to other people? There's something in this equation that just doesn't really seem to balance out. There's a tension that we feel here when we start to consider what's actually being said. And that tension is largely the result of the differences in understanding of how God understands the purpose of blessing versus how we tend to think about the purpose of blessing. In our culture today, we tend to see the purpose of blessing as primarily being for our own benefit, for filling up our own lives. And we're kind of like bowls. That blessing just pours in and it collects and it collects and it collects and our lives become more and more full. But there's a a potential danger in that understanding. And our passage starts to discuss it a little bit when we go a little bit further. Look at verse 7, chapter 15, verse 7. It continues, If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. So in our understanding of blessing's purpose is that it primarily is meant to fill up our own lives, It makes the kind of generosity that God's talking about here difficult and challenging because we're faced with this proposition of loss. If blessing is meant to fill up my life so that I accumulate more and more so that my life is filled with greater benefit and greater enjoyment, and yet I'm told to give this stuff away, to lend, to help others, I'm faced with this potential of losing these things. It's this fear of loss loss, that proves to be a significant hindrance to generosity. And we see that fear of loss expressed in our passage in verse 9. You know, if I'm an Israelite and I know that in seven years, every seven years, I'm going to have to forgive these debts, and somebody comes to me on like year six and says, I've fallen on hard times, I need a little bit of help getting back on my feet, can you make me a loan? I would really have to be a dummy to make that deal, wouldn't I? Because I know there's a good chance, like 80, 90%, that they're not going to be able to repay me by the time next year rolls around. And that's what God is warning these people about. Don't harbor that idea in your heart, knowing that next year is the year of forgiving, so I'm just going to harden my heart and be tight-fisted, and I'm going to withhold from this person that's in significant need. This fear of loss 
is a powerful hindrance to generosity. And that hindrance can show up in two different ways that our passage mentions here. First, we may be tempted to become hard-hearted towards those who need. So what does hard-heartedness look like? I love to go canoeing. Uh, I've done a lot of canoeing in Missouri when I was a young boy. I think the first river I canoed was the Current River. It's not a real, it's called Current River, but there's really not much of a current there. It's really easy. But if you've ever been on that river, you know that there are a lot of bluffs that just line this river on, on both sides for a significant stretch. And these are basically just giant walls of clay and stone. And I remember on lunch, my first time, we pulled off into the sandbar and I grabbed a handful of rocks from the riverbed and I just started throwing them against the side of the, that bluff. And they would bounce off and they would you know, deflect, but a few of them would shatter and I just thought that was the coolest thing because here I am in junior high, I can break rocks. How strong am I? So I picked up a handful of rocks and I just threw them against the side of that bluff all lunch break. And not a single one of those rocks penetrated that bluff. Every single one of them just bounced off or shattered on contact. And that's a pretty good picture of what hard-heartedness is. It's this, this state of being where our hearts become calloused like stone. So the, the concerns and the needs and the legitimate suffering of some people, it just bounces off. It deflects or it shatters on contact. Nothing is breaking through. I won't feel the concern. I won't feel the hurt. I'm just going to harden my heart. Good example in practice, you might think of Ebenezer Scrooge. I know we're getting to that time of year where Christmas is on the mind. Ebenezer Scrooge was an affluent man surrounded by poverty. It stared him in the face in the persons of Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim, and yet for much of the story, he's unmoved, unconcerned by their struggle and their difficulty. He didn't want to lose the wealth that was filling up his life, so he hardened his heart, and sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing. In fact, if this is our understanding of blessing, that is primarily meant to fill up my life and to benefit me and to bring me more joy, if that's our understanding, hard-heartedness is to be expected, really, because I don't want to lose that which is filling up my life and making it so great. I don't want to lend my money because there's a chance I'm not going to get it back. And I don't want to let people borrow my stuff because they might break it or I might not get it back. And I don't want to use my skills to help people out because it's going to cost me my time and my energy. You know, if my life is blessed because it's so filled with these things, of course I don't want to give those away. I want to hold on to it. I want to keep it so I don't lose it. So I'm just going to harden my heart so that I don't feel, so I'm not concerned, I'm not burdened by the needs of those around me. It's a significant danger. But it's not the only danger because our passage lists another potential pitfall. It says we might also face the temptation of becoming tight-fisted towards those in need. What does tight-fistedness look like? Well, I play this game with my son. He's one. I hold out two hands, and one of them is Nothing. But in the other is like a cookie or a raisin or whatever snack we're eating that day. And I'll have him pick one. Now, if he picks the cookie, he gets to eat it. But if he picks the open hand, dad gets to eat the cookie. So I'm always rooting for him to fail. And so I hold out these hands. And when he picks the empty hand, I very readily show him, ah, sorry, son, mm, that was good. But when he picks the hand with the cookie in it, dad's not as quick to open up. He'll put his little fingers in there, and he'll pry it open, and eventually I do show it to him, and I do give it to him. But I'm a little more hesitant, partially because it's, an, it's another fun element of the game, but also I kind of want that cookie. Uh, I'm a little selfish when it comes to my food. But that's just a good picture of what tight-fistedness looks like. We have this blessing in our lives, 
whether it be monetary, stuff, time, whatever. It's filling up my life. It's making it full for my enjoyment and my benefit. I don't want to lose that. I want to hold on to it as tightly as I can to keep it from getting away because I don't want to lend. I don't want to give. I don't want to lose that which makes my life so great. And again, hard-heartedness is to be expected if our primary understanding of blessings is that it's for our own benefit, for filling up our lives. As you can see, there is a lot of potential danger to this understanding because it develops some potentially ungodly characteristics in our heart and in our soul. And so I'm thankful that God has a different understanding of blessing and its purpose than we do. Whereas we tend to see blessing as the purpose of filling up our lives, God's intended purpose for blessing is to flow through our lives. We're not so much big bowls collecting blessing as colanders that are filled with blessing. And then it just disperses it all around to those in need. We're not consumers of blessing, but rather distributors. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. Look at our passage and how it concludes in this section. Chapter 15, verse 10. It says, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. And then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Notice it doesn't then go on to say, so just ignore it. Rather, he says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. The Israelites were blessed, not so that they could hoard it up for themselves, but so that they could share it to help those in need, to be a blessing in the lives of others. And we today, we are called to be blessings in much the same way. Now, in our passage, the blessing is taking the form of money, frankly. So if you've been blessed financially, it's a call on your life to use your money, not just to hoard it up, but to be generous, to help those who lack and who are in need. But we haven't all been blessed with affluence. Nonetheless, God has blessed every single one of our lives and placed some blessing in our days. For some of us, maybe we're not blessed with money. Maybe we're blessed with stuff. You know, maybe you just have really useful possessions. So how might one use their stuff in order to be a blessing in the lives of others? I want to tell you a story. A couple years back, I was driving back into the town where we were living at the time. This is this podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And in order to get to the town, you had to take one main road, and it had this big curve that went around about a 25-foot embankment. And it had been snowing, so it was slushy on the ground. I was driving a Pontiac Grand Dam at the time, really light car. I hit some slush, and it just sucked me down into that embankment. And there was no way I was going to climb this 25-foot hill in my little four-cylinder front-wheel drive car. I was stuck. Now, I was only two miles from my house, so I really didn't want to call a tow truck. So I got to the top of the hill, and I just waited. I mean, I was very visible from the road. And pickup truck after pickup truck drove by. Now, a few of them stopped, and they rolled down their windows, and they said, are you okay? Do you have a cell phone? Great, I'm going to leave now. And so they left. And so I sat there for maybe an hour, and finally somebody came up, and they stopped, and they said, can I help pull you out? Man, I was happy to see this guy. I had never met him before. I didn't even catch his name. He just pulled me out, lickety-split, said thank you, and he was off. It took him maybe five minutes. He was there to help me when I was in need, and he used his stuff to do it. Now, maybe you drive a pickup truck, and I would ask you this morning, what are you using it for? You just drive around looking pretty in it. 
Or are you using that possession to be a blessing in somebody's life? Now, that's just one example of how we might use our stuff in order to be a blessing in the lives of other people. But maybe you're saying, I don't have money and I don't have stuff. What do I do then? Maybe God hasn't given you those things. Maybe instead he's blessed you with time. And you just have an abundance of time on your hands. How, how can you bless other people with your time? Again, let me give you a story. My friend Andy found himself between jobs a couple years back. Uh, and if you've been in that position, you know that you can spend a lot of time filling out resumes and dust, or filling out applications, dusting off your resume, making phone calls. But it's really hard to spend eight hours a day doing that before your brain turns to mush. And so he would take a couple afternoons just to take a break and to breathe. So he had some time on his hands. And he could have used that time for a number of things. You know, maybe he could have played some video games or gone to the gym or, or done anything that would have filled his life with more enjoyment. But instead, he decided to use that time for something different. He volunteered as a chaperone for a developmentally challenged young man in the community. And about once or twice a week, they would go up to the mall and he and this, this young man, they would just walk and talk. Every once in a while, they would get some ice cream, but mainly they just talked. And Andy didn't have a lot of money that he could use. He didn't have a lot of stuff that he could lend to this young man. All he had was time. But that's exactly what this young man wanted and needed more than anything, was just for somebody to give him their time. And so Andy became a blessing in his life. Maybe you've got time. I would ask, how are you using that time? Is it solely to fill up your life with the things you enjoy, or are you using that time to be a blessing in the life of somebody else? And that's just one example of, of numerous ways one might use their time to be a blessing. Maybe you don't have money. Maybe you don't have stuff. Maybe you don't have time. Maybe you've got a skill. Or maybe you just have a lot of love to give. I don't know how God has blessed your life, but I know that he has blessed your life and placed some good in there. And he hasn't blessed you, and he hasn't blessed me for the purpose of hoarding up this blessing so that our lives are more and more and more full, but rather he has blessed us that we might go and be a blessing in the lives of others. And there's something really cool about verse 10 when we start to look at it and dig into it a little bit more. He says, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Here's the cool part. Then, because of this, because you've been generous, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. So basically what God is saying is, I blessed you, so go and be generous. And if you are generous, I will be generous. And let me tell you, God is capable of being far more generous than you or I. And the proof is in that timeless story of the gospel. Because we were people who were utterly undeserving in every way. In our hearts, we had harbored hate. We had harbored bigotry. We had harbored greed, bitterness, anger, lust. You name it. And we have probably made room for that criminal in our hearts. And in the process, we created this chasm between us and God. We were in serious need of healing and forgiveness. And though we were undeserving in every way, that's exactly what God provided in Jesus Christ. He sent his son into this world to seek us out and to find us. And then to heal us through giving his life over on the cross. This is a gift that God has given us freely, not because we deserved it, but simply and solely because he is generous 
and kind. So when God says, I'm going to be generous to you, it's worth paying attention because he means it. And when we start to consider this whole passage that we've read this morning in context and start putting it together, we see this really interesting paradox where when we have this blessing in our lives, when we understand it just to be filling up our own lives with more and more, there's that temptation to hold on to it and to keep it close because we don't want to lose it. And so we become withholding when all the while God is saying, go and be generous because if you give it away, you don't have to worry about losing it because I'll just give you more. This is the God who blesses, church. He generously and abundantly blesses, not because we deserve it and not because he desires us to hoard it up like a big old bowl of blessing, but because he's kind. And he desires us to be kind as well. That is the blessed life. Not a life that accumulates blessing, but a life that distributes blessing, trusting God and his generosity. So as we approach this Christmas season, it's a season of kindness, it's a season of cheer, it's a season of generosity, I want to encourage you to be the most generous people you can be, to be kind and to bless others as God has blessed you. Be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and thank you for every gift that you've given us from the material things that we see and we touch to the immaterial things that we, we experience, the love of a family, the, the sincere joy of a friendship. Most of all, we thank you for the gift of salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, that this would make an impression upon our hearts, that we would trust you and your generous promises, that we would go and that we would be a blessing in your name. Let us use the good that you've trusted us with to be sources of good in the lives of others. Let us give our time, let us give of our means, let us give of our stuff that others might know the mercy and the grace and the generosity of our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.